find refuge in our strength and, and we can always sing and, and praise him for that. Still got a couple more coming. A lot of kids this morning. They may be shooting off a flare in a little while, asking for some help. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, let's get to work. We're going to be in Exodus, uh, starting in chapter one, the very last verse, uh, verse twenty-two. Then we're going to go through the first two, uh, first ten verses uh, of chapter two, and, and just kind of remind you of kind of where we are. Uh, the, the promise has been made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 uh, that God would, would create this great nation through him, but before they were a great nation, they would be in oppression for 400 years. And, and so we come to the time of, of Moses. Um, we're actually going to see the, the beginning of, of the story of Moses here in chapter 2. Uh, but, but if you'll remember, uh, Pharaoh was trying to get the midwives to kill the newborn baby boys as they were being born. And so what we see is Pharaoh wanting to have kind of this, uh, it, it was really an all-out assault on the uh, Hebrew people, on the nation of Israel, but he wanted to be subtle about it, okay? He, he didn't want it to seem like this, uh, this huge national assault on this people because he wanted the midwives to do away with these baby boys, and, and maybe it could be played off as simply a string of tragic infant deaths, and it, and it wouldn't seem to the entire nation like they were doing this horrific thing. And so uh, we see that that didn't work um, through last week's passages. The, the, the midwives did not cooperate with Pharaoh, and so he has a much less subtle, uh, much, excuse me, much less subtle and, and much more just absolutely horrific approach to uh, wiping out the Israelites. And we see that here in the passage today. Uh, in verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So now instead of just having the midwives uh, kill these infants as they're born and be more subtle about it, he's saying that plan didn't work. I'm just commanding my people, if you find an infant Hebrew baby boy, take him and throw him in the Nile. And it was absolutely horrific. Um, it, it, there's, uh, it was absolutely wicked. And we can look back on this, and, and we can talk about how horrible Pharaoh was and how horrible the, horrible the Egyptians were for, for this extermination. But if we look at our own culture, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,000 abortions every day. I think we've had over, I think the number's over 70 million abortions since Roe versus Wade was passed a little over 40 years ago. Uh, we have, and uh, if you know anything about the abortion process, it is horrific. Um, and, and so we can look back on these ancient cultures and we can say that's horrible. We would never do anything like that, but we also have to look at ourselves and our own culture and the influence that the church has had or hasn't had on it. And we have to ask ourselves, why is our culture uh, promoting this? And so I just pray that as we read this, we don't just view this as something that was back then. This is also something that we have to deal with. We also have to be uh, working in our own culture uh, to preach God's truth and to, and to protect the innocent as well. So we have this, this horrific situation 
in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, and then in, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, we see the beginning of Moses' story. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that, she was a fi- that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse for him, and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So I love this story because God's providence is just so amazing in this. We, we have a mother who is in such a desperate situation that she places her son in a basket that she's fashioned and she sticks him in a crocodile infested river because that is his best chance at survival. That's how desperate this, this poor mother was. And then by God's grace and his providence, possibly the only person in the entire kingdom of Egypt found this baby. The, the, the only person that could have actually done anything and would have actually had compassion for him found this baby. And, and, and then not only that, but the mother gets to nurse her own son and get paid for it by Pharaoh's daughter. And so we can see God's providence working through this. The, the, the mother, Moses' mother sticks him in this basket and, and places him in the Nile. Uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter sees him in the river, sends a servant to go get the basket out of the river. And, and not only does she have the authority to protect him because she is royalty, she's Pharaoh's daughter, but she also has compassion for him. If anyone else would have found, if another Egyptian would have found this baby, they probably would have thrown it into the Nile just like they were commanded to because they didn't have the authority to go against Pharaoh's wishes like his own daughter would. If another Hebrew would have found it, they probably would have had compassion, but they wouldn't have had the authority to actually do anything about it. And, and, and so probably the one person that actually could have preserved the life of Moses is the one person that found him. And so we see God's providence working through that and his grace for the mother of Moses and for his people of Israel working through this story. And so the, the Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. They're looking at the baby. Well, then Pharaoh's sister, who evidently was extremely clever, um, I can just see her like pop out of the weeds and be like, hey, what's that? Do you have a baby? And she's like, do you, do you want me to go find somebody to nurse that baby for you? And so she goes and gets uh, Moses' mother and then Moses' mother gets paid to nurse her own son. So not only does he, he survive, not only does he get a chance at life that he would have otherwise not had, but she actually gets to raise him for a time. And, and so God was so gracious to her. She was in this horribly desperate situation. But we have to understand that none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. 
None of us are, are, are beyond the capability of God to reach out and work through us to show us His grace. And, and so we, that's really what we can gather from this story of Moses' mother. Okay, there's, she was in, in a completely desperate situation. And I know there's some, probably some of you here this morning who feel like you're in a completely desperate situation. And, and, and there's actually two ways we can take this. Non-believers, okay, non-believers are, are not beyond the reach of God's grace. So no matter how far deep into sin you go, no matter what your past has in it, no matter what kind of baggage you're carrying, you're never beyond God's grace. You're never beyond God's ability to save you from your oppression to sin. Just like the Israelites were never beyond God's ability to save them from oppression to Egypt, no one is beyond the boundlessness, if that's a word, um, of, of God's grace. Okay, you cannot sin enough or run far enough away from God for Him to not be able to reach you and bring you back in. And that should be a huge encouragement to us. We, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners in the New Testament. And, and he's actually, um, he, he calls himself the chief of sinners, one, because he actually persecuted the church. It's not like he was ignorant of the gospel and just didn't know it, and so he was lost into sin. He actively persecuted it. He, he um, commissioned murders for it. He arrested Christians. He broke up churches. And, and not even Paul, Saul at the time, not even Saul was beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is unsavable. Okay, God can save anyone he chooses to. He can free anyone from the oppression to sin. And so if you're that person, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not so naive to think that everyone in this building is a believer this morning. If you're that person and you, maybe, maybe you're just here this morning, maybe you've been involved in church a little bit, but you've never really, um, you know, you've never really received the gospel, you never really trusted in Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you that you are not in a place that's too far from God for Him to reach you. You, you are not beyond the reach of His grace. And, and also, if you are a believer this morning, if you're a professing Christian, sometimes we can get in these places to where we think that we're too far gone for God to actually use us. Yes, we feel like we're a Christian and we have this relationship with God and, and we trust in Christ as our Savior, but we just feel like, you know, I, I've just gone so far, I've done so much, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a Christian, but I don't think God can do anything through me. If God can find a Hebrew couple in the middle of Egypt, in the middle of all this oppression where the infant boys are being murdered mercilessly, and use that couple to bring about a son to work through to redeem his nation, he can use you sitting here in Spearman, Texas, okay? He, he can, we are never so far gone that God can't work through us and in us and, and use us to his glory. And so we have to understand that his grace knows no bounds. God can use anyone he wants to. He can work in anyone he wants to. He can work through anyone he wants to. That should be a huge encouragement to us. But another thing that we have to realize is that because God's grace knows no bounds, we should not try to put boundaries around it. Because I think a lot of times what happens is Christians, uh, we... We take God's grace, and, and it's boundless, and it's endless, but we try to bind it up, and we try to say, this is as far as grace will go. 
Because you see, we, we have a lot of sympathy for Moses and his family because we read in the scripture what God was doing through them. We, we have a lot of sympathy for this mother who, who is desperate just to give her son a chance at life. We have a lot of sympathy for her because we read about it in the scriptures. But if someone in modern day northern Africa was doing all they could, if they're a refugee just trying to give their kids a chance at a better life, if we, we have sympathy for Moses and his family, but if we have a C-130 land in one of our airports and they're full of refugees from northern Africa, or, or if we have a boat pull up to one of our ports and it's full of refugees from the Middle East, or if we have a truckload of immigrants that come to our southern border and, and, and they're wanting the same thing Moses' parents are. They're just wanting a chance for their kids to have a life. Do we show them the same grace? Do we have the same sympathy for them that we have for Moses and his family? Because it's the same thing. Are we showing them the love of Christ? Are we showing them grace? Are we saying, there's a boundary there. We're not going to let God's grace go beyond this boundary. And it may not even be uh, people from foreign countries. It may be the person down the street from you that, that has gotten in trouble in the past. Maybe, you know, maybe when they're not around, you refer to them as white trash or something like that. Do we try to put boundaries around God's grace? Say we're not going to associate with them. We're not going to show, show them grace. We're not going to show them sympathy or anything like that. See, we can't put boundaries around God's grace. It crosses all demographics. It crosses all, any boundary that we could come up with, God's grace goes beyond that. And if we try to put barriers between His grace and the world, then, then we become an enemy of God. We become an enemy of His grace instead of an ambassador for Him. And so we have to understand that God's grace knows no boundaries, and we should not attempt to put boundaries around it either. Have sympathy for others the same way we have sympathy for Moses and his family. We're in this, when we're in this desperate situation, and, and we should have grace and show kindness and compassion for those people. And, and so God shows us that there is no, no one he, can, he can't reach, no one he can't worked through, and we also see that even when you feel like you're being faithful but you're still a failure, God is still working you, working through you. He's still using you to his glory, because I want you to think about this for a second. When, when Here in a few weeks as we get around to it, uh, Moses, what's going to happen is Moses is going to go out one day, and he's going to want to visit his people. He knows that he's a Hebrew, um, and, and so he wants, he wants to go out and, and be with his people one day. And, and while he's out there, he's, uh, he sees an Egyptian beating a, a fellow Hebrew, and so he wants to stop it, and he intervenes. Well, he kills the Egyptian during the process. And, and so he goes out a while later, and, and the Hebrews say, hey, we don't really want you around us because we saw what you did to the Egyptian. Are you going to kill me too? And, and so um, at that moment, Moses realizes that everyone knows what happened, so he flees and goes to the desert. And, and so um, he's now a fugitive on the run. He's guilty of murder, and, and so he's just living a life of fugitive out in the desert. Now I want you to think about his mother, because there's no account of any sort of family reunion with his parents when he comes back 
um, to, to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And, and, so, and he's also 80 when he comes back. So we can presume, um, I normally don't like to do that, but just inferencing and things like that, we can presume that his parents are most likely dead before he comes back to, to Egypt. So I want, to think, I want you to think for a minute about the position that places his mother in. She probably went to her grave thinking that everything she did for Moses when he was a baby was a waste. She's, she's probably thinking, I, I did all of that to save him. I did all of that to give him a chance at life. And now he's just going to live the rest of his life out in the desert as a fugitive. She was like, what a waste. Because his mother never got to see the finished product of what God was doing through their family. His mother never got to see what God was going to do through that baby that she worked so hard to preserve. And many times, we never get to see the full picture of what God's doing through us and through our lives. And so we feel like we're being faithful. We feel like we're doing everything we're supposed to do. We give it all of our effort, just like Moses' mother did. We, she did everything she could, and then she just feels like it, it was for nothing. And she never got the chance to see the fulfillment of what God was doing through her. In fact, uh, Abraham himself uh, never got to actually inhabit the promised land. Moses never got to inhabit the promised land. There's so many people throughout the history of Israel that, that never got to see the full uh, fulfillment of what God was doing through them. And, and you may be sitting in that same situation. You feel like you're so faithful, but you're just constantly failing, and you can't see what God is doing through you. It feels like no one else is noticing you. No one else cares. Maybe God doesn't care. But I, I, I want to promise you this. That if you are in Christ, if you're diligently serving him, he is working in you and through you for his glory, even though you may not get to see the final product of that. If, if you turn to uh, Romans chapter 8, this is a passage that, that gets really misused a lot, and we're going to kind of break it down a little more in just a minute. But Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us that and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we're going to break that down a little more in a minute because that gets misused a lot. But I, the promise from that still stands. If you are living for God, if you are genuinely serving him and you genuinely have a heart for him, he is using you. You may not ever get to see the final product of what he's doing while you're here on earth. You may be like Moses' mother and never get to see the, the, everything that God is working through you. But if you're faithful, you can trust that, yes, God is working through you. There's a quote from Paul Washer that I thought was amazing that just fits perfectly into this. It says, How is God glorified by a rose that he plants in a forest so remote that no man or angel will ever see it? He is glorified because he sees it. How is God glorified by those servants who are hidden from all notoriety and fame because he sees them, knows their way, and rejoices? See, Moses' mother was probably never praised for her diligence in trying to preserve her son. She was probably, in her own time, probably nobody really knew about it. I'm sure a few people did, but um, she, she probably had zero notoriety for being the mother of Moses. Nobody thought that was a big deal. 
And you may be one of those people who's sitting there and you feel so invisible, so unrecognized, and you're just discouraged because you just feel like, I just don't know that God's doing anything through me. I see all these other people doing this really cool stuff, and, and it just looks like God is working through them more than me. Well, it doesn't really matter what your perspective is of those other people because the only thing that matters is how God sees us. Remember, the rose that's out in the forest glorifies God the same as the rose that's in the garden that everyone sees. The, the worker that, that is on the stage, the worker that, that, that is out in front of people all the time, God is using them to his glory, but he's also using the person that no one ever sees, that, that no one ever recognizes. He's using them for his glory too, and you can trust that he sees you. You can trust that he is being a witness to your faithfulness, and, and you are glorifying him in that. You don't have to be recognized to glorify God. And, and as, we're wait, as we're going through that, as we're being faithful, but we're still feeling like a failure and, and all of these things, it's so important to trust God's preservation in that. It, it's so important to, um, you know, I'm sure there were times where it was very hard for Moses and his parents to trust God's preservation. Okay, as his mother's setting this basket with her three-month-old son in it in a crocodile-infested river, I'm sure it was very difficult for her to say, oh, yeah, I know that God's got this handled. I mean, I'm not worried about anything. I'm sure that was very difficult for her in that moment to trust in the preservation of God. I'm sure there were times where her and the nation of Israel were just saying, God, where are you? And it's in those times where we have to cling to his preservation the most. We have to cling to the promise of his preservation the most because just like in that moment in her desperation, God was using that to the ultimate benefit of the entire nation of Israel. He was using that not only to the benefit of Moses, but also to the benefit of the entire nation. And so while it was hard to trust him in that moment, we can look back on it reading the scriptures and see, man, look how God was working through that. Well, the same thing happens in our own lives. There's times where we think, God, I have no idea how you're using this. But God promises us, if you go back to Romans 8, 28, and we're going to continue reading the next couple verses so that we keep it in context. God gives us the promise in verse 28, and he says, And we know that for those who loved God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we can trust that God, whatever situations we find ourselves in, God is working through those situations for our ultimate benefit. That's what that verse tells us. But here's what makes it difficult for people to trust in God many times is they want to define good on their own terms and not on God's terms. That's what makes it difficult for people to trust God because they say, hey, I thought God had my good in mind. I thought God had my ultimate benefit in mind. Well, he does, but it may not be what you think it is. If you keep reading in verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And, and so what's happening, God's saying, the good that I have promised you, the good that's going to come from all the circumstances in your life, is that you are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And at the end of all that, 
You're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. You're going to, to, to be in the glory of God for eternity in his presence. That's the good that I'm working towards, okay? It's, and, and, but so many times we twist this and, you know, somebody gets fired from a job and we say, well, that's because, you know, remember Romans 8, 28, God has a better job lined up for you. And six months later, they're still unemployed and they, they find it hard to trust God because they define good on their own terms and God didn't provide that. And so they say, well, God just, he must, he just doesn't care about me. No, God still has your ultimate benefit in mind, but he knows that the ultimate good for you is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and at the end of all that, to be in eternity with him forever. So we have to define good the way God defines good, not the way that we define good. And then finally, we have to understand what this story of Moses is pointing to. Because I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, uh, in kind of preparing this message, to me it was very encouraging because there are times where um, it, all of us can feel like we're unrecognized, like we're forgotten, like maybe God doesn't care anymore. We can all kind of sink down into those times. And this message is very encouraging to tell us that God's grace knows no bounds, that God is working through us even though we can't see it, that we can trust in God's preservation. Those are very encouraging things, but we have to understand what those assurances are anchored in. Because they're not anchored. We, we, don't, um, we don't trust in these assurances. We don't trust in the promises of God because he, what, of what he did through Moses. We trust in the promises of God because of what he did through Christ, the one that Moses and Israel are pointing us to. Because what God is doing through Moses is, is actually just a continuation of the promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 12, when God promises that he's going to place enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent, who is Satan. He promises a redeemer, someone who's going to kill Satan, someone who's going to release his people from sin and oppression to sin and death. He makes that promise all the way back in Genesis 3, and we can see all throughout Scripture that God is preserving that promise and fulfilling his purpose. In Genesis chapter 7, we see that God is so angry with the world, with his creation, that he just decides to wipe out the entire world. And it looks like, oh, well, the promise from Genesis chapter 3 is not going to be fulfilled because God's about to wipe out the entire world. Well, God, in his grace, preserves a remnant through Noah and his family to keep that promise going from Genesis chapter 3. We see that in Genesis 9 when God preserves Noah and his family through the flood. And then we see in Genesis chapter 12... God comes to Abraham and says, the nations will be blessed through your descendants. And what he's saying is, it's a promise that God is going to use the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, to bring about this redeemer that he promised in chapter 3 of Genesis. Well, then we get to Exodus chapter 1 and 2, and again, the promise seems like it's jeopardized. The nation of Israel looks like it might be wiped out by the Egyptians. And we say, well, God said that he's going to bring this redeemer through Abraham's descendants. If they all get wiped out by Egypt, how are we going to have a redeemer? Well, once again, in Moses, God continues to preserve his promise and fulfill his purpose. And then, of course, after the Exodus, we see the nation of Israel established. And then we get all the way to the New Testament. And we see that Jesus is born from the nation of Israel and our assurance and all the promises of God, the, the anchor of all of our hope 
is in the work of Jesus Christ. It's in his earthly ministry, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We, we don't trust God because of the Old Testament stories that we read. While they are very encouraging, our ultimate source of hope is what the Old Testament points to, and that is Jesus Christ. And we cannot lose focus on that. Moses is merely pointing us to Christ. There is a lot that we can learn from Moses and his life and what God did through him. And there's a lot that we can apply to ourselves today. But we cannot lose sight that this is all pointing to Christ. And it's all part of this cohesive plan. In fact, the words that are used for the ark that Noah was in and the basket that Moses was in are the same. They're both the same word, ark, is used for both of those, and it just shows this continuation, it shows this consistency. God is at work in preserving his promise, and ultimately, it comes to fruition in Christ. And so that's what we are anchored in, that's what our hope and our assurance is anchored in, is not Moses and what God did through him, but the one that Moses and Israel point to, and Jesus Christ. And so we, we trust that God's grace knows no bounds. We trust that uh, God is working through us even when we can't see it. We trust that God is going to preserve us and has our ultimate good in mind, ultimately because of what he did through Christ. And here in just a couple minutes, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, I hope that we really keep this in mind. I hope that, that we, as we take the cup and the bread that we remember what God did through his son on the cross, that we remember that he gave up his life so that we may have eternal life. <clears throat> so just remember that the promises and the hope that we have are anchored in Christ, and he is our assurance and our comfort and our rock, our refuge and our strength, just like the song we sang earlier. So please pray with me. Uh, as our as our ushers come forward, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, for your love and your grace for us. We 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 thank you for you sending your Son, God. You you carried out your plan of redemption. You you fulfilled all of your promises to us, and and we can have faith in that and hope and trust and and we cherish those and we cling to you. And God, I pray now as we enter into this time of observance that that we remember those promises and the sacrifice that was made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.